Do you know what time it is? It's that time again with Cindy Gern, who has the latest news about employment trends, current opportunities, and innovative strategies for managing a career on WERA 96.7 FM in Arlington, Virginia. This is The Workforce Show and your host, Cindy Gern. Thank you for joining us. Today we have as our guest a noted uh, physician surgeon in the field of neurosurgery and oncology, Dr. Alfredo Quijonis, her- her- who has written a book from migrant farm worker to neurosurgeon, which he'll tell us about. But the important part about this program is for you, the listener, to experience the journey of one person from a very impoverished part of the country to one of noted uh, success and accomplishment. And it wasn't an easy journey, as many of you have also experienced in your own lives, but it was a journey driven by passion and a vision. And he didn't give up. And not only that, but it's in the field of science and technology, which are an incredibly important foundation for any career going forward. So I hope you enjoy this program. It was originally aired in 2012, and uh, we hope to have him back in 2013 to update us on what he's been doing. Dr. Quinones' career has a different twist. But with a different twist, and it's a twist that I think most of you who are listening will find uh, very appropriate. We're not only going to talk about his life uh, as, as written by him, Self, uh, it called in a book called Doctor Q: My Journey from Migrant Farm Worker to Brain Surgeon. We're also going to be talking about this, the field that he practices in medicine, science, and stem cell research. So, welcome, Doctor Huonis. Thank you, Cindy. I'm absolutely honored to be here and with your audience. Uh, I wasn't going to start off this way, but while we were talking before uh, the program, you made a comment about preparing for science and technology as a career field. Could you kick us off with that with that statement again? I found it so refreshing to hear. Well, I do believe in my heart that the future of our country is the United States, the most beautiful country in the world, and I am obviously biased because I live here and I moved to this you know, country because of that specific reason. I do believe that the future of our country is in our youth and preparing our future generations and careers in science. There's nothing wrong with some of the other career choices. I do believe, however, that innovation technology is moving so rapidly around the world that for us to be able to keep innovative, to be able to stay on top, you know, as a wonderful nation, we have to educate our youth and we have to make sure that we play a special emphasis on math and sciences. And uh, and I do believe in my heart, as I was telling you, Cindy, that, you know, most people, most young kids don't realize that it's actually much easier and the odds are on your favor of becoming a brain surgeon then becoming a famous, you know, football star like Joe Flacco, for instance. And, uh, Who? and a, lot I'm of only the, kidding. a lot of the times our youth don't realize that, but it does take a great amount of hard work and sacrifice mm-hmm. in some ways. And I think that that's 
where our youth are slightly afraid of committing that amount of dedication, but we have to let them know, and it's my responsibility as a scientist of brain surgeon to let them know that what I do is absolutely beautiful. I'm given the privilege of my patients. My patients give me the privilege of being able to touch their brain. And then on top of that, they allow me to be able to take that tissue, when we take it out of the brain, the tissue that otherwise would go to biomedical waste, instead of throwing into biomedical waste, I bring it to my laboratory and they give me the privilege of doing science and trying to find new cures for battling brain cancer. So it is absolutely stunning and powerful mm -hmm. and I want to make sure that our youth understands that. It's not only stunning and powerful, but the way you discuss it and describe it, it's also poetic. And I think that uh, we have to appreciate that there is beautiful poetry in science. Uh, and, and, you know, I never wanted to be a football player, but I wanted to be a princess. Had I known... <laughs> you can still become a scientist and a princess, I told my, right. my own two daughters. You know, they also want to become princesses. It's wonderful. Imagine you are the first princess who is also a scientist. I think if somebody had just told me that, I would have changed my whole career dream. Okay. <laughs> now, let's get to you. Um, you have uh, many names and you have many job titles, so let's clarify some of this right now. You are known because of your book, Dr. Q. Uh, but you're also Dr. Alfredo Quijones, Quinones, I, I always buy, and you also have a hyphen last name. And Correct. I think it's the hyphen last name that there is, in which there's a story. What is Correct. that? Okay. Well, let me tell you the story. First of all, my complete name is Alfredo Quinones Hinojosa. The age is silent. And Quinones is my father's last name, and Hinojosa is my mother's main last name. Mm -hmm. As I write in my book some incredible stories, you know, when I was in medical school at Harvard and I was in 1997 about to become a U.S. citizen, a classmate of mine said to me, you know, and not in a malicious way, but rather in a, in a way that he was trying to help me and, and so I could become successful in this country. He goes, you know, uh, I would, if I was you, I would change my name to make it easier for Americans to pronounce and for make it easier for people to identify you. For instance, it turns out that Anthony Quinn, his real name before he came to the United States, a very famous movie star, was, you know, Antonio Quinones, and he changed it. I did not Quinn. know that. Yeah. Oh, interesting. He said, your name is Alfredo Quinones. It can easily be changed to Al Quinn. Huh. And I thought about this, in the, and, and in some ways, you know, I found it amusing that my own classmate in the mid-90s, you know, at Harvard Medical School, where at this point we have 51% of our, you know, of our uh, students were women, and we had the largest minority uh, number of uh, medical students, about 16 or 17% at that time at Harvard Medical School, was telling me this. But, you know, I never choose the easy path. So what I did, instead of changing to Al Quinn, I put my whole name, Alfredo Quinones hyphen Hinojosa. So it became even more com more complex because I felt that it was important for me to be proud of my roots, of where I came from. Because when you have strong roots, you can grow to be a very, very powerful tree. I think you're totally right. I mean, that's mm -hmm. exactly how it happened. 
Mm. And most people, Cindy, don't talk to me about these things, about what it's like. Remember, I have my whole life, I have crossed that line between being very confident and almost arrogant at points. And I have to cross that line sometimes to be able to do what I do today as a brain surgeon. But I always had this air of confidence. But that confidence at one point in my life was chatter. And I have to admit, and I talk about it in my book, Becoming Dr. Q, about what it was like when I was at UC Berkeley and a teacher assistant told me after I had gotten an A on my class when he would, she was going around asking where we came from. And I was so proud to tell her that I was from Mexico. And she looked straight into my eyes and she said to me, you couldn't possibly be from Mexico. You're too smart. <laughs> oh, my that, goodness. That was incredible. Oh, how That's many stories are there like that, do you think, in the world where somebody said something that forever changed that child's or that person's self-confidence? Can you imagine that? And that, I was told this already when I'm in my early 20s as an, a grown adult, as a young adult, mm-hmm. obviously. And it did have an incredible impact in my life to the point that I didn't deal with that insecurity until I was at Harvard Medical School and I was really getting ready to give the commencement of speech in 1999 as I was... Yes, listeners, listeners, I want to repeat that. He gave the commencement speech at Harvard Harvard Medical School because he graduated with honors. Correct. This poor and I little was person. <laughs> by the institution, and I was chosen by my peers. Right. And I had to deal with this. And I told a story about this kid mm-hmm. whose whose confidence was chattered. And I can only imagine what we can do sometimes with. The thing that makes me the most proud is that, you know, an incredible achievement happened last year. Within seven years, I became a full professor. So I rise, you know, to the top of academia. Well, congratulations. As you know. It's is an incredible university, the number one hospital, the number one department of neurosurgery in the United States. is an incredible accomplishment within the institution to be recognized by your peers. So at the end of the day, I'm a professor and I'm a clinician and I'm a scientist and I direct the laboratory where we do research in stem cells and I teach medical students, graduate students, undergraduate students, residents. You know, they watch me perform surgery. I go all over the world. I write books. You name it. And at the end of the day, I do about 250 brain surgeries and tonight I'm going to be going to Albert Einstein to give a uh, distinguished lecture to the medical students and so on and so forth. So yes, I do have a lot of titles, but at the end of the day, I am simply a brain surgeon and a scientist, a father, a friend, and a human being. Well, that is a very moving statement. So let's talk about you as a human being. Um, and and as a brain surgeon, we'll save the the, the other parts till later on. But you have written this book again. Uh, we are talking to Dr. Alfredo Quijones, who has written a book, Doctor Q: My Journey from Migrant Farm Worker to Brain Surgeon. Um, I want to ask you. I mean, first of all. How has this, well, first of all, this is not the only book you've written. I, I was impressed you were the senior editor of a major uh, technical uh, document on, uh, that you were a senior editor, correct? Of, uh, correct. It's, I'm the senior editor of what is considered the Bible of brain surgery. called Operative Neurosurgery, who was originally written by Dr. Schmidt, who was one of my professors at Harvard. And as a uh, mid-level faculty and professor, I uh, took on the leadership 
on this Bible and we have, uh, it's become, you know, the most successful brain surgical uh, book in the world. And uh, for that, I'm very proud. And you're absolutely right. I've written some other books on stem cells, multiple books on uh, surgical techniques, and I have a few, two more books coming out on controversies on brain tumor surgery and oncology. And for that, I'm, you know, I'm extremely proud. And I always tell people, I, you know, this uh, Schmidtian Suite is uh, two volumes, you know, over 250 book chapters, all, you know, technical. So if you really have difficulty with insomnia, you can go to sleep at night. <laughs> get a copy of this, and that'll yeah, really. Pretty quickly. <laughs> I just pinch myself to wake up. Uh, no, but uh, those are those are very very important books, and they're very important to the definition of who you are. But the uh, book that you're getting the national prominence and recognition from is the uh, the book uh, about your life. And how has that book changed your life, or has it? Well, you know, it was amazing, Cindy. I would say that the way that uh, it changed my life is, first of all, because I realized a lot of the things that I'm telling you, is a, it was a catharsis. It was a, it was a moment of reflection. And I wrote that at the same time as I was writing the Schmidtian Suite, the Operative Neurosurgical Techniques. It was a project that it took me about three years to complete, both of them simultaneously. As you can imagine, it's an incredible amount of work because my work in the laboratory and my work as a brain surgeon didn't actually become less. If anything, it became more more at, uh, as I was doing this. But it changed my life in ways that, uh, you know, I can barely describe with words. I mean, going back in my life and thinking about those starry nights that I had as a young kid in Mexico growing up in very humble backgrounds, thinking about those faraway moments that I, you know, I, I envision in my life navigating the universe, thinking that one day I was going to be an astronaut. And how little did I know that one day I was going to be navigating the universe, but it's called our brain, and that's exactly what I do. I mm. learned a lot of lessons. I surrounded myself by lovely people. The co-author of my book, her name is Mim Eichler. She has written the book, you know, uh, uh, The Pursuit of Happiness, that made a movie with Will Smith. She's an incredible writer. She spent a lot of time with me, and she found my voice, and we collaborated. I mean, I really was blessed you know, to have had a, a, an incredible support group. My wife, you know, I have a chapter dedicated to these green eyes and in so many ways they are symbolic of some of the experiences that I had early on as I was a, a resident at the University of California, San Francisco, battling with life and death, not only for my own patients, but with myself as I had an encounter with a, with a very large needle sticking me and, and going through the, the, the agony of being treated with triple therapy mm. and, uh, and vomiting every day as I was arrested and working over 120, 140 hours a week, mm. not going home for seven days. So all this, you know, was incredibly revealing to go back and reflect in those moments how I was surrounded by giants in the field of medicine and how I was able to learn from them and in some ways, in the, to question the rules uh, of, 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 the, of, the, of life, of the world, and, and make my own rules as I began to move 
in this world and realize that if I can do it, Cindy, anybody can do it. Well, let me ask you, let me interrupt here and ask you a question. You, uh, you wrote the book, and as you were writing the book, it was cathartic because you were able to reflect on and see where those moments were. Uh, and those people and who those people were that impacted your life. But it all started with your, your, it seems like you're watching the stars and you had, in, you started with a, a sense of self and a sense of dream. Uh, correct? Correct. So who no. were, so let's, let's go back to the beginning and let's go back. If you're, if you're talking about Dr. Q and his journey, uh, let's start at the very beginning. You said you grew up in a humble environment in Mexico. How humble? Were you living on the well, streets, homeless? What? I was, you know, this is, I was born in 1968, and uh, my father had a small little gas station outside of Mexicali, Mexico, in a small little rural town, and it wasn't much, but it was enough that in the late 60s and early 70s could actually put food on our table. But by the late 70s, you know, just like the rest of the world, we began to go through a very hard economic depression, and... You know, I started working on this gas station when I was five years old, literally pumping gas and becoming a major contributor in my household mm-hmm. with my mom and dad. And by this time, my little sister had died. My father, unknown to me, you know, uh, he blamed himself for the death of my sister. She died of dehydration, diarrhea. And uh, those mm-hmm. are the things that I explored when I wrote this book, to be honest with you. And it took, you know, three decades, four decades later for me to explore what had happened back then in the late 60s, early 70s that led to my father struggling with uh, self-medication with alcohol Mm. and and in some ways depression and and feeling guilty and and not being able to support his family. So how humble, yes, we didn't even have food on the table by the late 70s, which is when I began to conceive the idea of coming just like many immigrants, poor immigrants to the United States so I can actually bring some money so I could put food on the table with my parents or my parents and my siblings mm. who are living. So that's how humble mm. we were. That's how poor we and were. And that that's motivates like, you know, a lot of people. Have seen yeah. All along all right. was an incredible mother. My mother became the strength, the support, the pillar, the role model. Mm-hmm. And she kept my father and us, all of us, together. She mm. sacrificed so much for all of us. And for that, I am eternally grateful. Now, you're the oldest of six. Uh, right. And you, were, you started working at five. And so you, had, you learned responsibility. You assumed responsibility. How about the, the other five? Are, are they also, like you, highly motivated? Or, or is everybody different? Everybody has their own path. It's amazing. Everybody has their own path. And it was six of us. But remember, my little sister... Maricela died when I was three years old. I was mm. the twin sister of my sister who is alive, Rosa. And we're all different. It is amazing. First of all, uh, you know, I would say that my siblings are much brighter than I am. Maybe the thing that set me apart was the fact that I had this fire in my belly. And this is probably the thing that it set me apart, set me apart from many people around the world, that I continue to have this incredible thirst for knowledge, this incredible thirst and desire to change the world and to contribute and to give back as much as I can. And that's what sets us apart. But my siblings, first of all, all all the rest of my siblings are back in California and San Diego. With my parents, with mom and dad, my father and my mother are still alive, Mm -hmm. you know, and they are, as you can imagine, very proud of the accomplishments. But my 
brother Gabriel, who's about a year and a half younger than I am, he ended up going to San Diego State, and uh, he works in uh, San Diego with his own business. And then my sister Rosa, whose little sister died when we were little, mm -hmm. she also has her own business with her husband. They're incredibly hardworking people. And then my two younger siblings, you know, which is the reason why we also came in the late uh, 80s to the United States, so they would have an education. Unfortunately, they ended up being the ones who never continue their education in the United States and somehow Cindy, they ended up getting sucked in into the system that in some ways is unfair for a lot of immigrants that come from humble backgrounds. Mm -hmm. But I also recognize that I personally as a older brother as I came to the United States I made a lot of mistakes and Cindy I want to make sure that our listeners realize that I am just a human being and I made a lot of mistakes in my life. And one of them was not recognizing the importance of making sure that we remain engaged on the education of my little brother and my little sister, which by now, as you can imagine, they are adults. But I encourage parents to continue to remain engaged with their children in their education and ask every single day, what have you learned today? Mm -hmm. And that is very important. And in some environments and communities, it is an uphill battle getting parents to uh, to be engaged enough. and sometimes it's because they have three and four jobs so you know they they can barely you know kind of get to the dinner table uh so then the community has to step in and and take up the slack if we don't i agree let's talk about all right so you've got this you know the start and uh i'm the second oldest of six so i appreciate this you know uh you know this journey uh but you uh talk about how many times you try crossing the, the border and what happened when you finally got across here? Well, I tell that story in my book and it's just, as you can imagine, it's like out of a movie. Uh, I did. I crossed, the, uh, I crossed the border once. I literally hopped the fence, as I recollect in my book. And just, we're talking about the uh, you know, late 80s here. And I got caught once and I got sent back to Mexico. And uh, this is after going through an ordeal of where I was you know, put in a small in a cell uh, jail there at the border and I was uh, they forgot about me and I was there for about 24 hours with no protection and no food and then some would recognize that I was in there and they got me out and I came right back you know the next day immediately after I was sent back and I think that that's one of the early lessons that I learned that I had a dream and my dream was very simple I wanted to be able to provide for my family and I most people ask why did you come to the United States well it's probably why, why a lot of people still risk their lives around the world which I did I risked my life because the United States is still the most beautiful country in the world It's the only place where the American dream the dream of bettering yourself and your family can be accomplished. And I had that dream, and mm -hmm. I wanted to fulfill it. And I was young, and I really didn't measure danger. And I ended up crossing again, and I made it through. I landed in L.A., you know, after I had taken an airplane. Like I said, it was like out of a, out of a movie. Mm -hmm. And uh, somehow I found my way into the San Joaquin Valley where I began to work as a migrant farm worker. Mm -hmm. So perseverance is something that I always inculcate in my own children, mm -hmm. in my own disciples, inside of the operating room, outside of the operating room, but measure perseverance. That means that you have to learn from the mistakes that you have done in the past. 
rather than beating yourself up and feeling that you totally failed, that there's always redemption. And if you own up to it and you learn from them. Now, you became a citizen in 1997. That was when Ronald Reagan was granting amnesty. Well, it was it turns out that I became a permanent resident in the 1980s. You know, remember mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan had granted amnesty in the in the mid 80s, uh, but I didn't actually qualify for that. I qualified to become a temporary resident through immigration reform of California, specifically dedicated for migrant farm workers like myself. Mm-hmm. I didn't qualify for the amnesty, so I became a temporary resident. After, you know, before that I was, I had a working authorization, then a temporary resident, and then eventually a permanent resident by the time I was at UC Berkeley by 1991. So I went through the steps, you know, of paying, uh, uh, sure, making sure that I was paying taxes, I was a productive citizen, going mm-hmm. back to the INS, and through all the uh, latter, I was able to gain permanent residency and eventually a citizenship in 1997 by the time I was at Harvard Medical School. Oh, okay. Well, obviously, we've jumped uh, a few years in your life, and now we are where we are because we're running out of time, and I, I, I want to catch, we have two minutes, so... Um, I will say to the listeners that we hopefully, uh, I will have uh, links to his story on uh, where you can read more about uh, Dr. Q and his, uh, his life journey. But what you've shared with us so far is truly inspiring. So I want to I close out and I want to ask you uh, these two questions and you can speak until I've been told that we have to totally cut it off. One has to do with uh, your attitude toward immigration reform right now, if you want to, and the other is really about your field of stem cell research or cancer, and, and what are some of the, the exciting breakthroughs and things that you see impacting the future of the, of the field? Well, first of all, let me a- a- answer that question about immigration very simply. I'm not an expert on immigration. As a matter of fact, I'm a brain surgeon. I do specialize on migration of stem cells, which is what I study in my laboratory. But in regards to immigration, I would say that we are an incredibly smart country. We have people who have figured out the way. Somehow, they figured out for me in the mid-80s to Ronald Reagan. So I have confidence that if we apply ourselves and we come together to united, we can find an answer for this. Okay. In regards to brain cancer, I fight brain cancer every day inside and outside of the operating room. And right now we are so excited that we're even using uh, stem cells that we obtain from fat, that we load them with cargo and we treat them as Trojan horses that they can go into the brain and fight brain cancer. That's exactly the kind of work. Sounds like science fiction, doesn't it? scientific and powerful work that we do in my laboratory and that ah. is thanks to the fact that we are supported that we have an incredible amount of, of young scientists that are working with me not for me but with me every single day okay with, with that with that with that i am going to have to close but with a, a word that we will continue this conversation on careers in science and technology, and we will talk to people who are as excited about their field and 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 poetically describing it as as our guest, Dr. Q. Uh, again, Dr. Q, thank you so much for taking time. Well, I don't know how you find the time. I'm glad you found the time to talk to us today. Thank you. Thank you, Cindy, and your team and your listeners. Thank. You. 
Thank you for tuning in to The Workforce Show. This interview and others can be found at WERA.FM or at CareerCentralOnline.com. Thank you for listening. Until the next time.